I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. Government seizures and sales of cryptocurrencies are now routine for our men and women on the front lines of law enforcement. And it's not just Bitcoin. Indeed, a range of other digital assets are common tools of the trade for online wrongdoers, and their growing presence in criminal busts has turned Uncle Sam into a major player in cryptocurrency markets. Now, while exact figures are impossible to pin down, Forbes magazine has estimated that at least $1 billion worth of digital coins, and possibly much more, has spent time in the custody of U.S. law enforcement. To get a sense of what this all means, as well as a couple of other crypto tax issues, Fintech Beat is aiming to sit down with the tax man. Mr. Coopin, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Maybe you can describe to us exactly what you do and what this cyber enforcement division or what the IRS does. Sure. Yeah. So we are uh, special agents, just like all the other federal agencies that you hear of. Um, IRS criminal investigation is tasked with regulating uh, and enforcing the tax crime. So anything that's associated with with tax um, as well as financial fraud. So we have jurisdiction over Bank Secrecy Act, uh, money laundering, and then obviously our our our, uh, our bread and butter is really our tax violations. Um, and then within the cyber unit, uh, we focus on any case that uses the internet as the essential means to facilitate, uh, remain anonymous, hide, or f- facilitate that that crime. Just from a really simple level, how does the IRS even? view cryptocurrencies? How do they classify them? I mean, what what are cryptocurrencies for the IRS? Uh, for the IRS, cryptocurrencies right now are classified as an asset, okay, as property. So it's it's taxed as such. It's not currency under our tax laws. Um, and right now it's considered property, which means it's then subject to capital gains. Do you know exactly why? I know that you're really in terms of the law enforcement end of things, but is there a, a particular reason or logic uh, that you've seen as to why there's that classification? Or is it really uh, the legacy of certain kinds of traditional views of alternative payment instruments? Yeah, and I think you hit on it with the traditional view. I mean, it does. It, it's the way that it operates in the, the fashion that it's not tied to a fiat currency. Uh, so therefore, you know, we view it as property um, in its simpler form. Mm. And I know that uh, certainly in terms of your work, you've come across it uh, as property for sure, but in a, a, a very tangible yet at the same time intangible form in lots of law enforcement activities. But uh, why do you think cryptocurrencies have become so important uh, what changes have you seen in terms of the activities of wrongdoers? Uh, what can we expect to see uh, when it comes to cryptocurrencies and, again, online wrongdoing? Yeah, good questions. I, I think it's become more popular uh, for the reasons that cryptocurrency exists. I mean, it's it's easy to to, to handle, to trade, to sell, buy, transfer. It's mobile. 
You know, it's uh, the anonymity that it affords. Um, you know, it doesn't really fluctuate with the inflation perspective, but it obviously does with the speculation on more of a, a trading platform. Um, but all of that combined with low fees and the ease of use um, really, you know, is, is what entices people to, to use it. Um, from a criminal standpoint, uh, that's the same reasons that criminals use it, is the anonymity, the ease of use, the mobility. Um, all of those things, I think, make it a challenge for, for law enforcement as well. Um, but uh, cryptocurrency also having the ability to transact internationally, uh, there's no boundaries. So, you know, one of the things that people quickly see with cryptocurrencies is this is complicated stuff. I mean, it's, it's uh, you have very technical uh, infrastructure, digital infrastructure supporting cryptocurrencies. How is it that, that criminals uh, are so up to date with this stuff? I mean, do you see a different kind of criminal because of the sophistication? Or do you think that there's just a lot of money involved and people tend to be incented to learn the stuff precisely because of the uh, softer target or the bigger target that cryptocurrencies potentially present? Yeah, you hit it on a couple few uh, a few points, key points. Um, first off, I think uh, some group uh, of criminals use it because it's it's what it affords. It affords that anonymity and ease of use, <clears throat> and they don't really care, you know, what what's behind it. They just know that they can operate in that space a little bit more under the radar than than other methods. Um, and those folks really, it's it's cost of doing business. So if they have issues, um, you know, that's that's just built into kind of their criminal enterprise. Then we're seeing this larger pool of, you know, cyber criminals that they are more cyber savvy. And they have this, this, this uh, new mentality of understanding the technology behind it and finding ways to thwart not only law enforcement, but the financial sector from from really any type of information sharing, um, which really makes it you know a challenge. And then the last thing is that we also see this, what we call crime as, as service, where sometimes the folks committing the, the criminal activity are outsourcing their activities to a money laundering group that is versed in cryptocurrency or, <laughs> or hackers that are the ones that are doing the, you know, some of the uh, more sophisticated, you know, methods. So it's like a, there's like a, apparently a, a listserv of some sort, like a, yeah. like the, yeah. the criminal Angie's list or something yeah. where you can go it's, and find. It, it's uh, called the dark web. The dark web, <laughs> right. You know, so how exactly then, I mean, from a law enforcement perspective, at what point did 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 you guys or or did law enforcement more generally start to recognize just how um, important uh, again uh, not just cryptocurrencies but the dark web itself was 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 becoming? Uh, I know that you've had a lot of uh, inter interactions and and you were involved in the Silk Road uh, as well. But at what point? Did you guys really start to get a sense that this is big and and it was important for law enforcement officials officials to get a hold of it? Yeah, and I think uh, I think it was uh, probably anywhere from f five to seven years ago when we really started seeing a lot of these uh, investigations were leading us to forums or information that was being transacted on the dark web, especially on a larger scale. Um, you know, some of these dark web marketplaces that are. You know, you mentioned Silk Road. I mean, there's been a handful of them after that that have been increasingly even more in transactional uh, size. That that just goes to show you the sophistication and the 
the the uh, you know the methods that the criminals are using to really get to their end goal. So because of the anonymity uh, afforded to lots of these cryptocurrencies, um, you know, many of our uh, listeners, you know, have cryptocurrencies and they're uh, using them. How do I know that the cryptocurrency, whatever cryptocurrency that I'm, I'm using, uh, if, it, if it affords a lot of anonymity or pseudonymity, how do I know that that's not somehow tainted uh, by some kind of previous uh, illegal activity? And if I'm holding it and it is tainted, how worried should I be? I mean, like how much do I have to sort of look at every <laughs> coin that I receive to make sure that you're not knocking on my door in, you know, in, in, in a day or two? Yeah, and as long as you know you're not you know receiving it in some you know false pretense or some illegal act, uh, you know there's not a, a worry there from that from your perspective. However, it does raise some good questions because you know the the, the fact that you're if you're transacting in cryptocurrency, if you're going through a reputable exchanger or something that's uh, somebody that actually is uh, following proper AML and KYC practices, you know, they're, they're doing the right job. You're, you're getting into that, to that market. Um, you're, you're pretty, it's probably pretty safe that you don't have anything to worry about. It's when you're transacting peer to peer, person to person, um, or or anything like that, where you're not sure of the source, um, it could very well be, you know, some type of a laundering transaction. Are you seeing uh, parts of the world that are that are greater risk or greater at risk, and 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 as a result, um, have either caught your attention or should catch the attention of people who are transacting um, in in cryptocurrencies? You know, going back to that that comment as crime of service, you know, we see. Certain countries, the, the typical countries we think of, uh, you know, out there doing some of the hacking activity, then they're selling information that they're stealing or, or data databases or information and then providing it to other criminal enterprises uh, to then try to uh, monetize that, that activity. Um, we, we see this, the typical ones that we've, we've always had issues with from a criminal standpoint. Um, I think that there's also countries that are popping up that are becoming more uh, not only crypto savvy, but uh, you know, crypto havens where they they're inviting uh, cryptocurrency transactions uh, just because of their, you know, more of their leniency on the way that they view that activity. So that's really interesting. I mean, because there certainly are there's a, a bit of a rush right now. Um, Different financial centers in the world are are saying, "Hey, look, you know, we're we're open for business, and we're creating our own regulatory regime or something for or, or trading platforms or markets for cryptocurrencies. Um, this stuff is, you know, it's digital. It's it's uh, therefore very mobile. Um, and there there has been a growing sort of awareness or concern that that without adequate controls that some jurisdictions may be facilitators of criminal activity um, is is Part of the work uh, that the IRS is doing is surveying, you know, what these other countries from a, are, are are doing, uh, and uh, how hard is it to enforce even U.S. rules and to ensure that these other countries are sort of complying with these AML rules um, when, again, they could be very far away, and and it's it's probably pretty hard to sort of see what level of enforcement they're actually uh, exercising. Yeah, good question. So several points to that. I mean, 
internally within IRS criminal investigation, we're very closely tied into several organizations um, at an international standpoint, uh, FATF, OECD, you know, some of these, these organizations that or, or task forces that are really stood up to look at those uh, issues and address the policies and regulations around these that. international standard setting bodies. Yes, absolutely, the, the, yep. the kind of galactic senate <laughs> <laughs> of international crime fighters. And it has to be done. These these cases are uh, almost almost one hundred percent internationally based. They always touch some other country in some form or fashion. Um, so. Not only does it require us to be in, in cooperation and coordination with these other countries on the regulatory side, but then also partnering with them on the law enforcement side, because when something occurs in another country, uh, like you mentioned, we don't really we don't have the jurisdiction to just be going over and trying to you know Not take matters in our own hands. So we have to rely on the relationships we build with those countries, with the law enforcement there, to work in in partnership to go after those criminals. And, and it's, we've had a, a great success in doing so. Is there anything that would make the lives easier for law enforcement? Like, is there something that uh, f- folks sort of wish that they could have, but um, either from a technological or from a regulatory standpoint, it's just sort of makes uh, sort of cleaning up markets and keeping markets clean just more challenging? Yeah, there's a few things. I, I think you hit on it with the regulatory. We, we have to get our international partners not only uh, – some countries are very advanced. Others, we have to get them up to speed on you know, the technology, the understanding of cryptocurrency and blockchain and how this – and the dark web and how that factors into some of the activity and how to put boundaries and good guidance around it uh, so that they're capturing the correct data that we can share. And then going to – to data sharing itself, um, we have to, and we as in law enforcement and countries uh, cooperation, we have to get uh, smarter and faster at that process. Um, we have we have a process currently that is, you know, under the MLAP process, uh, it does take time to kind of route that information through. Um, so it is a challenge for us under the the mutual legal assistance treaties to really share that information fast. And as you can imagine, these cyber cases are speed of light. When you guys go and, and you're sort of crashing through the door and, 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 and you know, taking uh, laptops and everything, there must be enormous money sort of in Bitcoin that's, that's seized. So, so whatever happens to, to all that Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever that's, that's seized, um, uh, does it just sort of sit in a frozen a account, and so the the ledger never changes. I mean, what does the government do? Because you guys have so much of it. Yeah, and with the, I mean, with the technology today, we have to be really careful on on the control over that. I mean, the criminals could still have access to, you know, uh, regeneration of wallets and seeds and things like that. That that even so though you we so take you seize it, it and then yeah, like then the next day right, it's gone. It's gone, something. right? So oh, wow. we, we okay. have to really uh, take quick and and. Uh, very dramatic action to make sure that we're controlling it. So what we, we typically will immediately, if it's under some type of a seizure warrant with legal process, we'll, we'll seize that and we'll move it into a government-controlled wallet um, under, under the control of our, you know, our headquarters, multiple agents, so that there's good you know, uh, control policy around it. Um, and then it will, a couple of things can happen if it's being held as evidence or if it's being held as, as uh, fruits of the crime, and then it's going to be looked to be forfeited. Um, we, we operate with Department of Justice and the U.S. Marshal Service, and those funds end up getting transferred to the marshals who they have wallets established that's held there until it's auctioned off. So that could be 
you know, some, some amount of time that it, the fluctuation in the pricing. Yeah. Goes. I mean, it, it, could, yeah. It, it could be very, very volatile. And I'm just now thinking, I mean, if, if you're, if you've seized, you know, some of these cryptocurrencies trade in very shallow markets. All right. And so whenever that auction yeah. occurs, that could be one heck of an auction depending. Right. Uh, and, and, and it really does uh, mean that, that the government could be, could move a market just in terms of how it gets rid of these. And we've had some, the you know, we've had some weird timing where we've, you know, seized a great deal of Bitcoin right before uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the fork happened with Bitcoin Cash. So, I mean, oh, wow. you know, immediately, you know, a week later, we're now sitting on, you know, a significant more. So, so that's really, really super interesting. So the government can go in and say you've, you've seized some Bitcoin and while it's in your custody, you get a fork. Yeah. So now you have the original currency and now you have the fork. Yeah. So I guess then you have to, to, to sell both the original Correct. currency so and, 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 and and the forked. That's right. And if and if that amount, you know, whatever the whatever the illegal activity amount is, you know, if that amount ended up going above it, we wouldn't be keeping, you know, keeping that the entire amount from the criminal. But if we have proved that, you know, in in example terms, if we prove that a million dollars and we seized five hundred thousand in Bitcoin and then we have Bitcoin Cash that adds another couple hundred thousand. We would then take all of it and look to forfeit it as proceeds of that crime. I'm I'm also thinking about just the auctioning process, which is when you think about the infrastructure, you know, a distributed ledger, you know, that's an interesting concept in and of itself, right? Because it, it would take time to operationalize, and you have to sort of figure out not just the how thin the market is, but like how do you Forget actually the timing, yeah, but it just right, takes right. a while to actually yeah, right. Through the effectuate process. The, the, the sale. Yep. That in and of itself is an entirely different and dimension of this administrative uh, process. We'll end with whether or not you can tell us a little bit of details of maybe your wildest or most interesting sort of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency case. I think to to kind of leave leave a good. Uh, a good mention of of hanging here on a twist, uh, but there's going to be something coming out uh, that's going to be a a, uh, a pretty pretty phenomenal case that was worked by our one of our our agents out of our cyber crimes unit, and um, <clears throat> you want to talk about an international magnitude of uh, some just really awful illegal activity um, that we're really proud of and excited, you know, yielded hundreds of arrests and, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, great work went into it. So, um, I think I'll leave you with that. And we'll have to get you back on the show then. Yeah. Well, it'll be publicized very well because the, the, uh, I believe the, uh, deputy AG is going to be speaking on it, um, coming up soon. So great. Something to keep, keep an eye out for. We definitely will. We definitely will. Thank you so much, Jared, for joining us. It's really fascinating work, and, and we thank you for your service. Absolutely. Thank you. Left my wallet in El Segundo. Left my wallet in El Segundo. I gotta get it. I got, got to get it. I was able to pry just a little more about this potentially explosive case. Jared told me that the division he heads at the IRS was one of the lead agencies on a large takedown of a dark net marketplace and conducted the financial tracing necessary to help identify the administrator of the marketplace. This in turn, quote, led to the dismantling of the organization and the arrest of hundreds of people worldwide, end quote. Well, we'll be sitting waiting with bated breath to see what happens next. If making policy for cryptocurrencies is hard, 
enforcing crypto laws might be even harder. Not only do you have to navigate a range of digital infrastructures, including the dark web, but you also have to identify just what wrongdoing is taking place and then coordinate with far-flung regulators in attaining evidence and witnesses. And then even once you make a bust, you have to figure out a way to safeguard and perhaps auction off the gains that you've seized. And with cryptocurrencies, it's no easy job. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at ChrisBrummerDR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.